Today we're going to talk about music theory. How much do you know? How much do you need to know? Let's get into a complete overview of this tool next. Hello and welcome to episode number 31 of the Musician Toolkit. My name is David Lane and it is great to be with you once again. So first of all, for those who are finding this podcast on YouTube, you will have noticed something different already, and that is that there is no video for this particular feed. I'm going to be trying some different things here and there. Uh, right now, it may it may turn out later that my biggest audience for this podcast comes from YouTube, but right now it's a very small percentage, and I'm not doing a whole lot of things that are visually interesting on the show. It's basically just a video of me talking in front of the microphone. I'm still recording the video that I can use for excerpts every now and then uh, to promote this podcast. But the fact is, at this point in the journey of the podcast, I'm doing everything by myself, and editing the video just takes a whole lot longer than it does just to edit the audio. And I can easily put the audio with an image of the logo on YouTube if you prefer to get your podcast there. Now, that said, if you value seeing me in front of the microphone, and if that's actually an important part of your experience, uh, well, then please let me know. I do operate based on feedback. So if there's something about this podcast you want to, you want to hear more of or see more of, or see or hear less of, then do let me know. I may be experimenting with some other changes. You know, the, the things that I can say that you can count on that will not change, this podcast will continue to come out every Monday, every week, and we're going to continue to talk about the craft of musicianship and focusing on what are the tools that you can develop to become a more well-rounded musician, and if you're professional or you're aspiring to be a professional musician, what are the tools that can help you be more successful as a professional musician, as a business? Well, one of the tools that we have talked about before that has been a little subtle up to this point, well, we're going to talk all about it today, and that is music theory. So the title of today's episode is Music Theory Levels, a Checklist. Music theory is a large category. And I thought it would be a good idea to go over some of what this category covers. Now, I want you to note that this is not a comprehensive list. And I'm sure my professional colleagues, especially the ones who are like music theory professors and, you know, really get into this as a major tool, they're going to find many things that I have either omitted or maybe even forgotten to include. But I think this is going to help a lot of you to figure out what it is that you know already and what it is that needs some work. So this list is sorted by types of music theory and the various levels of each. The only section that is, in my opinion, inexcusable not to master for each and every single music student is the section on fundamentals. That said, I still recommend most students should explore as much as they can on all of the other areas, at least one of each. And as you go, keep track of where you think you are on this list and what you should improve or begin learning. If you'd like to see this list as a reminder, 
I'll also be publishing the same topic as a blog on my website at davidlanemusic.com slash blog, and I'll also include that in the show notes. Okay, so here's the list. Category one of music theory are fundamentals. So this is the category that is a prerequisite for getting any benefit from any of the other categories of music theory. So the way I've organized this list is I decided to list types of the fundamentals and then there are levels of each. Except where noted, you should try to master every level before continuing study of another category. Okay, so the first thing under fundamentals is knowing your rhythmic notations. Level one, all these levels are symbols for notes and rests, by the way. For level one, you should know your whole, half, quarter, eighth, dotted half, and dotted quarter notes and rests. For level two, you should know your 16th, 32nd, 64th, and also an understanding of how this progression continues, like 128th, etc. Your triplets based on quarters and eighths, so quarter note triplets, eighth note triplets, and also dotted eighth notes, as well as rests. For level three, you should have an understanding of other types of tuplets, such as duplets and quintuplets and septuplets, as well as other dotted and double dotted notes, and, and of course, the equivalent of rests, although you don't see those quite as much. So... That's pretty much it. Now, I did not include in there like how a tie works and so forth. We're getting into kind of some basic music reading, but ties and syncopation and some of these kind of are terms of music as well. But that is your basics of rhythmic notation, and you want to have a full understanding of that. Well, the second thing you need to know in your fundamentals is you need to know the names of notes on a staff. Level one is treble and bass clef, notes on the staff. Yes, even if you play flute, I think you should know bass clef. Even if you play tuba, I think you should know treble clef because one of the tools, the important tools, is keyboard skills. And I include that not just being able to play the piano, but being able to read a score. You're going to miss out so, so much in terms of the benefit that you can get from written score study or even playing music if you can only read one clef. So reading treble and bass clef with some degree of mastery is, in my opinion, a prerequisite for being a well-rounded musician. So now I know I'm leaving out uh, violists who primarily play an alto clef, but don't worry, I'm going to cover, I'm going to cover your instrument. If you, if you are primarily a violist, you should probably add this to level one. But for everybody else, treble and bass clef notes on the staff so notes that fit on the five line staff and probably you know include middle c leading to middle c on that on both of those you're at level two in this category if you can take the treble and bass clef and read notes at least three ledger lines below and three ledger lines above each staff you're on level three violist you know this already if you can take alto and tenor clef through three ledger lines up and down. Now I'll say that this level three is really only needed if you are 
a composer, an arranger, an orchestrator, a conductor, or a string player. Or if you are teaching any of, any of these instruments. The next category of theory, I don't have any levels, and I don't really have any examples. I'm not going to go through these, but common musical terms, dynamic signs, and tempos. So, like I mentioned earlier, legato, staccato, slurs. So all of your dynamic signs, your subito dynamics, which include forte, piano, mezzo forte, fortissimo, but also crescendo, diminuendo, and the common types of terms you find for tempo. So I'm sure you have no problem if you see fast, slow, but, you know, make sure that you're also comfortable with allegro, andante, adagio, vivace, presto, largo, and so on. If you can have a music dictionary handy, whether that's virtual or uh, an actual hard copy, that would be a great thing for you to have while you're getting better at musical terms. But what I would recommend is just get a lot of music, and every time you see something in print you don't recognize, look it up and make a note of it and study it. The next category of fundamentals is having an understanding of time signatures. So for level one, you need to be comfortable with 2434443868 and cut time, which is also listed as 2-2. Now, if you're just getting started, you've probably only seen 4-4 and 3-4. So yes, you, we, you'll stay on level one until you've covered those six time signatures. Those are what I'd call the six most basic, most common time signatures. Level two is 9-8, 12-8, 3-2, 6-4, all of these are quite common. And then I would add to that, you need to have knowledge of other simple and compound meters. So you should be able to say, okay, I know 9.8. Well, I should also know 9.16. 12.8, I should know 12.4. 3.2, I should know 3.16. And, and so forth. It's just kind of how simple meters work and compound meters work. Again, I'm not going to get into what all these things are. I'm not going to tell you what they are on this episode. Uh, we'll we'll perhaps focus on some of these as we go but this is a list of what you should know so if you say oh yeah i know that check off that level if you're thinking i don't really know that then write it down or again go to my blog davidlaymusic.com blog and find this find the post with the same title as this episode and print it out this is a checklist for you level three is what I would call the the asymmetrical meters, 5-8, 5-4, 7-8, and anything else, knowing how you would approach such a time signature and how, how to read it. And by the way, part of time signature understanding is just not seeing the meter and knowing how you would approach it as a performer, but it would be looking at a measure without a time signature given to you and being able to determine what the time signature most likely is. The next category of fundamentals is key signature recognition. There's no levels for that. You should just know all of your major and minor keys. And by the way, I did a video for YouTube about using musictheory.net, three different ways to learn your key signatures. And I would highly encourage you to check that out. I talked to you about which exercises to do and how to set it up. But basically what you're doing is you're studying, naming the key signature when you see a group of sharper flats saying what the name of it is. 
you're also constructing a key signature with sharps or flats based on the name of a key. And then you're also applying the key signature by naming notes and incorporating the key signature. So I would highly encourage you to take a look at that. Next category of fundamentals is recognizing types of scales. So if you see a scale and if you, you were to even play it on your instrument, you would want to know what kind of scale it is. In level one, you should know your major, natural minor, harmonic minor, melodic minor, and chromatic scales. And you should also know the names of your scale note functions, such as tonic, dominant, leading tone, and etc. Level two is you should also know, have some understanding of pentatonic, whole tone, blues scales, and also your church modes, which is your Ionian, Dorian, Phrygian, Lydian, Mixolydian, Aeolian, and Locrian. Level three is at least some familiarity with some non-Western modes, as well as maybe how to describe some synthetic scales that composers have used since the 20th century. The next category in the fundamentals is recognizing intervals. For level one, you should be able to generally recognize a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and an octave. For level two, you should be able to also say whether or not those intervals are major, minor, or perfect. And you should also know about the tritone as well. Level three is other than the tritone, all other augmented and diminished intervals. And if you want to do a bonus category there, looking at doubly augmented, doubly diminished intervals, but hopefully you're not seeing that in music. It does exist, but there's always a better way to have done it if you see it. <laughs> the next category in the fundamentals is recognizing types of chords. Level one is to know major and minor triads in all inversions, and this is for all keys. Level two is that you should know in all possible inversions, dominant seventh, major seventh, minor seventh, diminished seventh, half diminished seventh, and you should also know your diminished and augmented triads. For level three, you should know the minor major seventh, which we see very commonly in jazz, and you should also know types of ninth, eleventh, and thirteenth chords, and you should know your sus chords. Level four is that you should have a system by which to name non-traditional chords, those dissonant chords, and we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to the harmony section. And the final category of the fundamentals is an understanding of basic forms. So level one is knowledge of phrases, and you need to know and be able to identify binary, rounded binary, and ternary forms. Level two, Comfort with theme and variations, Sonata Allegro, and five and seven part rondos. For level three, you need to have an understanding of inventions, fugues, song form and trio, or minuet and trio. I will say I don't think that you need to have a full three level mastery of the basic forms before you start doing some of these other categories. I think if you get through level one, maybe even level two, you'll be okay. And just continue to work on that as you move forward. So now, before we go on to the other major categories of music theory, I just want to say a special note. 
And that is that unless you intentionally study music theory as a class or have a teacher with a passion for the subject, most students never go beyond the fundamentals. And the fundamentals in, that encompass what can be years of study. So if you feel like you're still working on the fundamentals and that going on would be daunting, don't, don't worry about that. Just keep working. The good news is that once you have a full measure of confidence in the fundamentals, the transition to these other branches of theory are all very manageable. So here's the second major category of music theory, and that is part writing and voice leading. The craft of constructing a melody and harmony or harmonizing a pre-existing melody in three or four voices at first, it might seem antiquated, especially for modern composers, given that it is a practice best meant to serve a Baroque and classical way of composing. However, even in modern music, the understanding of smooth voice leading, it not only comes handy for writing practical choral music, but it also leads to smooth ensemble voicing even when you're writing for instrumental families such as woodwind brass or strings. It also leads to an understanding of how to smoothly move from any chord to another. The bonus is, I th and I think this is the great part, is that it trains you in being able to compose without the aid of hearing it played first on another instrument. It is so powerful if you can go to a table and compose and be pretty sure of what it's going to sound like when you finally hear it played back. Now, if you're not a composer, it's also a great exercise for learning how smooth voice leading works, and this is going to help you more reliably predict what to play when you're sight reading three and four part textures and larger. So level one is that you need to learn how to read figured bass have a knowledge of diatonic chords and chord progressions. So diatonic just means it is of the scale. So it's just like, for example, if you're in a major chord, your one, four, and five tend to be major triads. Your two, three, and six tend to be minor triads and so forth. And you want to have some basic ideas of chord progressions, like your types of cadences. Level two, you should be able to add an appropriate inner voice such as an alto or a tenor, when you have three other parts already written for you. You should be able to add that fourth voice. Level three is that you should be able to add two inner voices, so a soprano and a tenor, to a pre-existing bass line and soprano melody. Level four comes in two parts. You should be able to add three parts above a bass line, including the melody, or you should be able to take an unaccompanied melody and harmonize it with three parts below it. Level five is you should be able to do a complete four-part construction from scratch with the bass line, with the melody, with the inner voices. So that was category two, part writing and voice leading. Category three for music theory, this third branch, is harmony and analysis. Now again, this step is not going to be easy or maybe particularly beneficial, 
until you have not only mastered the fundamentals, but you've at least begun working on level three of part writing. And again, that means that you're able to at least know figured bass, have a knowledge of diatonic chords and chord progressions, and able to add two inner voices smoothly to a bass line and a soprano melody. So I would at least be comfortable with that much before you start going on to harmony and analysis. So this is the category when you are taking pieces of music and you simply analyze what's there. Now, what you do is up to you or your professor, if you're taking this as a class, as the main ob objective for studying the music. So here's a sample of some of the things that you could be analyzing. You could identify all of the harmonies and identify all the non-chord tones, either with letter names or with Roman numerals. And when I say that, I don't just mean what is the chord, like if you have a melody in one hand and a chord in the other, but it's looking, it's looking at all of the staffs. What is the chord being played among all the instruments or between two hands of a piano? And then also, what about those notes that don't fit in the chord? How can you categorize them? I personally learned nine ways to categorize non-chord tones. You probably heard some of them before. Passing tone, neighbor tone, pedal tone, suspension, escape tone. So I won't get overly technical, but this is, what, this is one of the things that you can do. The other thing that you can do is you can identify the form, both the large overall macro form and also the structure within smaller sections. So one of my favorite examples that I use with theory students is the very famous Furlice by Beethoven. The entire piece is a five-part rondo with a form of A, B, A, C, A. But the famous A section all by itself, this is the part that all of your non-piano friends will seem to know without any lessons, at least to an extent. This is actually a divided A, B, A ternary form. So you can take that excerpt and you can analyze the form, or you can say how that section fits into the larger piece known as Furilis. You can also analyze theme and variations. When you take pieces that are in theme and variations, you're just asking how is the theme varied in each variation. Technically, now this is not a rule, this is just a common practice, you should be able to find either the melody, the chord progression, or the bass line as something in common with the original theme. I was taught that you need to, when you're composing, you need to have one of those present in the variation and you can completely change the other two elements. The fourth type of thing you might want to analyze is a detailed melodic analysis. So look at every melodic idea. Is it a restatement or modification? In other words, might it be an inversion, a retrograde, a modal change, a rhythmic change of an earlier motive or theme? Or is it something completely new? You're just taking an inventory of every melodic idea. When did it first get stated? And how did it get manipulated? It's not easy to assign levels since some types of analysis could overlap with others. That said, here's how you might determine your level. So level one for me would be analyzing small forms with limited and traditional harmony mostly within a scale. So you want to choose pieces that are not very large. Uh, typically, I would pick 
some piano music that's intended for beginners or early intermediate or maybe some choral pieces like Bach chorales is very common for this but Bach might give you some sophisticated things that you're not going to be able to do right away so maybe more classical period type of choral pieces you know something that's very small scale would be a good thing to look at you may even want to consider taking a like a Protestant hymnal, like a Baptist or Methodist or, or Lutheran hymnal. Level two is that you should be able to work with more advanced tonal harmonies such as seventh chords, secondary dominance and secondary diminished seventh chords, augmented sixth chords. You should be comfortable with larger forms and also doing more detailed melodic analysis. And I included a 2A here. Level 2A is when I would say you'd, you would be comfortable studying a jazz score, analyzing within the jazz language of chord names. good example of that is they don't use a half-diminished seventh. They use a minor seven flat five. So that might have its own prerequisite for just understanding the language of jazz chords. Level 3 uh, analysis is being able to analyze atonal and polytonal harmonic analysis, knowledge and experience with tone rows, and experience with a system like Hansen, Vector, or some other kind of analysis where you can keep track of what's going on with the harmony. So that's really it for that category. Now, I didn't mention about, like, if you're looking at an orchestral score, what the instrumentation, all that is. So hang on, that's coming later. That's not part of analysis but that is its own category. But the next category I'm going to share with you, this is the fourth main branch or category of music theory, is counterpoint. Counterpoint is a branch of theory that deals primarily with polyphonic music. And that simply means that you're playing music with at least two voices that have rhythmic independence. And this branch of theory is actually equal parts analytical and hands-on construction. It's really hard to study counterpoint unless you are doing exercises that involve writing counterpoint. So this is composition intensive. Doesn't mean that you have to do it to call yourself a capital C composer. But this is very valuable for getting some quality experience in what composition really is in a way that you really can't get from improvisation. So counterpoint simply means note against note. The analysis comes from looking at how multiple melodic lines relate. Typically it's categorized into what are called five species. The first species is one note versus one note. So this is basically not polyphonic music but homophonic music where every voice is moving at the same rhythm. That's first species. So we don't really call that counterpoint, but we do have a spot for it. Second species is where counterpoint truly begins. It's two notes versus one note. So say you have two notes in the right hand, like eighth notes, and you have quarter notes in the left. The third note is when you have four notes versus one note. So this is having 16th notes in one hand or one voice and one note at a time in the other. Now, as I like to demonstrate with my students, it's not just saying that the right hand has all the 16th notes and the left hand has all the quarter notes, but when you're writing counterpoint, you might flip who has what every so often. So like 
the right hand of the piano part might have two quarters followed by eight sixteenths, whereas the left hand might have those eight sixteenths followed by two quarters. Your fourth species is really hard to get into right now, but is a type of suspension resolution between the voices. You really should consult a textbook for that species. But your fifth species, your final one, is a liberal mixture of all the types of first through fourth. In other words, it's it's putting everything together. This is when you're getting into mastery of, of contrapuntal music. So there are prerequisites for counterpoint. I think you can do some of this without full comprehension of all the fundamentals. But this type of theory makes no sense unless you have fully mastered notation and you have full knowledge of all kinds of intervals. You've done some harmonic analysis, chord progressions, and some melodic analysis. So you really do need to know quite a bit before you're ready for counterpoint. Here are the various levels. Level one is analysis of easier Baroque keyboard works, and you should be able to compose in two-part texture. So basically, a treble and a bass. Level two is analysis of box inventions, and also learn how to compose your own two-part invention. Level three is analysis of three-part music and be able to write your own. Level four is analyzing four-part music and be able to write your own. Level five is getting into three and four voice fugues, both with analysis and composing. And I'd say level 5A, you should also at this point do some study in Renaissance, classical, romantic, and modern styles of counterpoint, including fugues from those eras. Now this is very intensive. I would say you could be a very well-rounded musician without getting into all the counterpoint that is available, but you should have some knowledge as you go, as you go. Okay. So category five, this was the last category that I could think of as a major branch of music theory and it's orchestration as a pure branch. This actually needs very little prerequisite beyond the fundamentals. So you can, of course, you can, incorporate analysis of all kinds when studying an orchestral piece. But you can otherwise begin the study of orchestration at any point after the fundamentals. I don't have any specific levels here. The The thing that I would say is just know that a Schubert symphony is much simpler in terms of orchestration than Tchaikovsky. Tchaikovsky is much simpler than Ravel. Ravel is simpler than Penderecki. The closer you get to now, up to a point, <laughs> the more advanced the orchestration. So I'm going to say it's highly recommended that you study this with some form of orchestration textbook and with as many written scores as you can find for analysis. So now here are some things to know. I don't have, again, I don't have any levels, but these, this is just things that you should know as you're studying. So you should know the score order of instrument families and the knowledge of those families. So again, talking about woodwinds, brass, percussion, strings, and your kind of your auxiliary instruments like piano, organ, harp, choir, where do these fit in the orchestra? There is a common order and it's good to know what they are. You should also know the common European translation for instrument names. Cause a lot of times if you're studying a, score by a German composer, you're going to see German names for the instruments. 
you should have experience with transposed instruments and how to transpose to C. I talked a lot about, about a lot of this on my episode about score study with Andrew Callow. But in a lot of scores, for example, the horn is listed as the horn in F, the French horn. And the trumpet is the trumpet in B flat. The clarinet is in B flat. And you're seeing sometimes on a score the way the notes that that instrument would actually see when they're playing, which is not the concert pitch of what you'd be hearing. So you need to have an understanding of that. You need to have a knowledge of instrument ranges, both what's practical and what's possible. And you need to have a knowledge of instrument strength and weaknesses, as well as the special effects that they can do beyond simply playing the notes. Things like harmonics and the strings and colenio and and mutes and other, and again, other special effects. So that's the list. Where are you in your study? What do you need to work on? And what have I forgotten? Go ahead and tell me. Uh, I, I know I've left some things out. What do you consider major aspects of music theory that I haven't covered? And I'd like to challenge you, if you're not already, make anything, any shortcomings you have, make studying theory part of what you do, whether or not you're going to be a music theory professor or a composer. So again, how much theory you need beyond the fundamentals is naturally up to you and your goals. However, I would, I would strongly encourage you to, to have the curiosity to explore as much music theory as you can make time for. Now, we've gotten to episode 30 of this podcast, and I don't think I have really ever said anything quite like this on before. So I want you to know if you're listening to this for the first time, I don't do this very often. I believe this is the first time in 30 episodes that I have said this. But if you are looking for someone to guide you in your study of music theory, if you'd like to have a plan of, of how you can go about getting really good at music theory, even if it, even if you just want to start with the fundamentals or if you want to get into some more advanced studies of counterpoint, I teach this privately, and eventually I may be teaching this in small groups. So send me a message if you're interested. If you would like to work with me one-on-one, -on -one, you can send me a direct message on Instagram at David Lane Music or through Facebook at David M. Lane Music. You can also go to the website for this podcast, which is davidlanemusic.com slash toolkit, and you'll see a contact form. Or you can go directly to the contact form at davidlanemusic.com slash contact. Just a reminder, check out Fonz. If you have a studio of any kind, it will help you with your admin, your bill paying, receiving payments, and your scheduling. And that link is in the show notes, and it comes with a free trial. So go ahead and check it out. Well, that's going to wrap it up for episode number 31. I look forward to being back with you again next week. Thank you for listening. <laughs>